My subject is Christ who is our life. Christ who is our life. And uh, you know a lot of preachers and people tell you you need to make the Lord the most important thing in your life. Well that's not good enough. He must be your life. He becomes our life. There's no life apart from him. He said I'm the vine, you the branches. If you're not joined to him you don't have any life. So you can't make him the most important thing in your life because you ain't got no life. He is our life. He is our life. But look here in Colossians 3. Let me read some scripture and get right into the message. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and the covetousness which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience in the which you also walked some time when you lived in them. But now you also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is all and in all. There in the first verse, it says, if you then be risen with Christ, it's talking about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we're risen with him, now the resurrection of our Lord is the cornerstone of the, of the Christian doctrine. It's the cornerstone. If you take away the resurrection, the whole house comes down. If you disprove the resurrection, the gospel is useless, the gospel is powerless. We have no gospel. And you say, how can you make a statement like that? Well, turn to 1 Corinthians 15 and I'll show you. See, this is the very cornerstone of, uh, of Christian doctrine, of what we call uh, the doctrines of the scriptures, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, him being risen from the dead. If you had a building and you've got to lay that cornerstone, that's the, when you build a building, you get your foundation poured and laid, you've got to pull from one corner. That corner's got to be right. It's got to be square. And you've got to start from that one corner to make the building, every rest of the building square, and build off that one corner. And our Lord Jesus Christ and his resurrection is the cornerstone of our faith, of what we call what we believe. And let me show you what I mean. Now here in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 15. Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? We're preaching Christ is risen. But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. If you say there's no resurrection, then Christ's not risen. And if Christ be not rich, risen, then our preaching is vain. It's useless. It's empty. It don't amount to anything. And not only that, if our Lord be not risen, your faith is vain. What's your faith based on? Yea, and not only that, but we're found false witnesses of God. 
We testified that God raised Christ from the dead, and we're out here preaching that God raised Christ from the dead. If there's no resurrection, if he didn't raise from the dead, we're lying on God. We're saying God did something he didn't do. And whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then Christ is not raised. And if Christ is not raised, your faith is vain. And here's the horriblest thing of all. You're yet in your sins. Then, think about this. Those which have fallen asleep, those who have gone to rest in Christ, they're perished if there's no resurrection. And if in this life, in the life of Christ, that he only lived on this earth, and if for no hope for eternity, no hope of our sins being put away, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. And that miserable means not that we're miserable in our feelings, but we're miserable in our condition because we're miserably deceived and we're miserably without any hope. We're in a miserable state before God in a miserable state deceived in ourselves. But now watch it. I love this. I love you go through the scriptures and see how many times great big doors swing on little bitty hinges. He says, but now. <laughs> but now what? Christ is risen. Where? From the dead. And because he's risen, he's the first fruits of them that sleep. So you see, beloved, the resurrection of our Lord is the cornerstone of the faith and the cornerstone of Christian doctrine. And our Lord, by many, many infallible proofs, gave proofs of his resurrection. And 16 times his appearances are recorded after his resurrection. He showed himself openly. He ate and drank with his disciples. He appeared unto Mary. He appeared unto Simon Peter. You remember he told Mary, he said, you go before and you tell the brethren and Peter, I'll meet them. And you remember he appeared unto above 500 brethren at one time. His disciples were walking on the Emmaus road and he was walking along with them after his resurrection. And then secondly, in the order of doctrine, in the order of the teaching of the scriptures, the federal headship of our Lord is important next to the resurrection. Now what I mean by the federal headship is that there's two men that God consider in this world. One's Adam, the first man that God made. He was representative of the whole human race. The whole human race stood in that one man. You know, I don't have to go far to trace my family tree. Don't have to go far at all. My genealogy is very easy to find. I start all the way back at Adam. And Adam was the first man and every member of the human race came through him. And what he did, we did in him. When he disobeyed God, we disobeyed God. Wherefore, as by one man, what man? Adam. Sin entered into this world through that one man. And then death passed upon all men because of that one sin. And now all have sinned. Where do we sin at? We sinned in Adam. And then we sin by our own nature and our own volition. And second man that the Lord God of heaven considers is the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he came into this world, he came as the last Adam and he came as a representative. And all whom he represented, what he did, they did in him just like we did in Adam. As we disobeyed God in Adam and we sinned in Adam, we obey God in Christ and we we uh, are resurrected in Christ, and as we die in Adam, we'll also die in Christ and be raised in Christ. And that's what we're talking about here, you see. And it's, so, it's so important, you see. All who are in the Lord Jesus rose from the dead when he did. We were so joined to him, so united to him, and so uh, 
given to him in the covenant of grace. And so he's the head. He's the head and we're the body. And whatever the head does, the body does too. And I'll tell you what's so glorious is people that haven't even been born yet, who haven't been brought on the face of this earth yet, if God tears his coming, Christ has already done for them what he's done for saints has been in glory for millennia. <laughs> huh? Is that not right? That's a glorious thing to think about, ain't it? But here, all, when our union with our Lord, our being joined to him is so complete and so vital that all that he did, we did in him. In fact, Paul said it like this, we're bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. That's how close we are. It's just like in a marriage, you know, that their twain shall be made one flesh. A man and a woman become one in the eyes of God, in their own eyes, in the eyes of the community. And in the eyes of the they become one. They're just one. And so, beloved, Paul said, but I'm speaking of a mystery. I'm talking about our union with Christ. We're so united to him that it's no longer two we considered one in the sight of God. Christ is our head, and we're joined to him. And it's an intimate, intimate union. It's a continuous union. And it's an indissoluble union. And then we're risen with him. It said, if you then be risen. Now, we're risen with our Lord in two ways. In two ways. We're risen with him representatively. Representatively. You know, in Romans 4.25, it said he was delivered for our offenses and raised for our justification. Now, when God raised our Lord Jesus from the dead, what he done by that was he declared our Lord justified, justified, free from all liability of sin on our account. God judged him with our sins upon him, and he went to the grave, and when God raised him from the dead, that was proof of his justification that all liability for sin had been paid for, and there's no more liability for sin. So when our Lord was buried and was raised again, and that's why he's our justification, we were raised up in him, and all liability of sin is gone now. God doesn't judge me for my sin because they were judged in my Savior. They just judged in my room in my room instead. And the resurrection is proof that he's justified. And the resurrection is proof that I'm justified. Huh? You see, in our Lord, in our Lord, we've, we've endured the sentence of the law. Said he that is dead, he's freed from sin. What in the world can the law do to a dead man? Huh? What can the law do to a dead man? So a man, if he's dead, I don't care how many laws he's broken. I don't care what a rebel he's been. I don't care what a menace he's been. And how many things he's been involved in. When he's dead, there ain't nothing anything can do to him. Well, we dead. We're at. In Christ, if you've been dead with Christ, you're alive under God. And that he died under sin once. Now, people say you got to die of sin. Well, I'll tell you, I did. And you did too. We died to it in Christ. Huh? Now, that's why the law, when it comes after us, you know, it can't condemn us. It can't touch us because we're dead. Where did we die at? We died in Christ. And then, beloved, because we're dead, when he was raised again, we were raised up in him. And because we died to the sentence of the law, the law can't come back now and get us. And then the second way is that, that we're risen with him, not only representative, but spiritually at our conversion. Look here in Colossians 2.13. 
You know, that's why, as he said, you were dead in trespasses and sins, and he hath quickened you together with Christ. He hath quickened you who were dead in trespasses and sins. And here in Colossians 2.13, we were raised with him spiritually at our conversion. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, watch this, hath he quickened together with him. <laughs> so when I was converted, I was risen with him. I was risen with him. Now, let's start down through these verses. Uh, and deal with just a few things here. The apostle said, if you then be risen with Christ. Now, Christ is our life. We don't have any apart from him. And if you then be risen with Christ. Huh? And you, what do you think this word if here means? That means that I may have been, I may not have been. No, this word if here is not the if of uncertainty. This is the if that presses responsibility. If you then are risen with Christ, this is what you're to do. It presses your responsibility. It's not, I'm uncertain whether I'm risen with Christ. Because I'm risen with Christ, seek those things that are above. And see if it's true. And what he said, if it's true that you've been crucified with the Lord Jesus Christ. If it's true you've been buried with the Lord Jesus in baptism. If it's true you've been raised up together with him. If it's true that you've been seated in the heavenlies with him. Then seek those things which are above. Huh? Now, what things are above? Well, there's a heavenly country above. That's one thing I'm looking for, ain't you? Oh, the apostle uh, told, told about Abraham. He said, Abraham, he was looking for a country. He was a stranger and a pilgrim here. He had no continuing city. He had no home while he was here. He lived in a... T and oh, he said, but he was looking. He was constantly on the lookout for a city whose builder and maker was God, a place where God's not ashamed to be called their God. And oh, beloved, looking for that heavenly country, David said, you know, Lord, when I'll be satisfied, when I wake, when I wake in your likeness. And oh, that's what Jack was talking about. Said, that's why, boy, when you know that, they can take that saw and split you open. But you can go. Huh? That'll be all right because you ain't going to be open when you get there. You're going to be with him. We're looking for a heavenly country. I love this earth. If it wasn't for sin and people, it'd be a nice place. But that's, that's all there is on this earth is sin and people. That's why we're going somewhere else. Huh? And we seek the heavenly country and then seek the Lord Jesus Christ and his righteousness. That's above. That's not anything of this earth. Seek the Lord, that's above. Seek Christ and his righteousness. That's why Paul said, you know, if a man thinks he's got something to brag about, he said, I can brag more. I was circumcised the eighth day. I was the tribe of Benjamin. I was of Israel. I was a full-blooded Jew. I was a Pharisee after the righteousness of the law. I was blameless. But what did he say? He said, it's dumb. It's absolute dumb. Anybody want to keep dumb around? Huh? And for men and women to stand before God in their own works and own righteousness and in their own deeds, it's just like taking cow dung and smearing it all over yourself and coming before God and saying, look how pretty I am. And Paul said, I count it all but dung that I might win Christ, that I might know Christ, that I might be found where at in Christ, not having my own righteousness, but the righteousness of God, which is not after the law, but the righteousness of God, which is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, boy, that's above. That comes from God. 
That's not of the human works. That's not of the human will. That's not of the human mind. It's God's got to give that. If you risen with Christ, seek him and his righteousness. Seek that heavenly country. And then seek all spiritual blessings. Oh, people, well, they want, they're seeking for tongues. Seeking for all kinds of spiritual gifts. And of all the blessings that I'd like on this earth, I like peace better than I do anything else. And do you think about that? I like peace in my mind because I know what it is not to have peace in my mind. I like peace in my heart because I know what it's like not to have peace in heart. I want peace with me and God. Because I've been when God mad at me and I was mad at him. Don't hate that way anymore. I love peace in my home, don't you? I love when I walk in the door, there's not going to be no argument, no fussing, no fighting. Me and my wife can walk up and hug and kiss one another and sit down and no fussing, no fighting. I like peace with my children. I love to get along with my children. No fussing, no division among us. And to go to the meeting house. Go together with the saints of God. <laughs> And there ain't nobody mad. There ain't nobody out of joint. There ain't nobody out of pocket. There ain't nobody, ain't nobody upset over what's being said or done and no jealousy. Peace! Where you gonna get that at? You ain't gonna get it here. Got to get it from up yonder. Huh? We got to get it from up yonder. Oh, seek life, seek glory, seek wisdom that comes from above. You see, that's why we got to seek it from up there because that's where our Lord sits. He sits at the right hand of God. He sits there with all the power. He sits there with all the authority. He sits there with all the honor. And he can and he will give all those things that we seek from above. Huh? And those are the blessings that count. Those are the blessings that count. We may... We may get some poor one of these days. We may not have much of anything. But boy, one thing they can't take away from you. We sing a song down home, Wonderful Peace. Peace, peace, wonderful peace. It says, deep in my heart that no one can mine it away. And we may lose everything else, but boy, if that's been put there, you can't mine it away. It'll keep you. It'll have peace. Uh, uh, be a stay in a storm. It'll be a stay in a storm. And then look what he says then. In verse 2, now see, our Lord sits at the right hand of God, so that's where we have to seek it. He's the one has got it. Set your affection on things above. Now, it doesn't say affections. It doesn't say affections. Like you can split your affections. It's one, singular. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Huh? Oh, bless his glorious names. If our hearts or not set on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can't, we won't seek those things above like we ought to seek them. We won't seek them properly. We won't seek them with the right motive, with the right desire. And you see, people, people won't cry. They want the benefits and the blessings of being Christian, but they don't want to be followers of Christ. People want to be in a kingdom without having a king, and it can't be done. You know, people talk about having the blessings, but I tell you, if you get him, you get all that goes with it. Huh? And that's what preachers are doing. They're just promising people all kinds of blessings and bypassing the Lord. But oh, my soul, why bypass the door? Why bypass the Lord when you got him? You got everything that you need for time and eternity. You got everything God's got. We're heirs of God with him. 
He's the only son, and God made him the heir of everything. And then we join to him, we're joint heirs with him while he's God's ours. What he has is ours. What he did is ours. Where he is is ours. Everything we got, we got it. So set your affection there. Set your heart, set your mind, set your will, set your face. There where Christ sits on the right hand of God. And we find out too late how important it is to set our affections there. We're too soon old and too late wise, most of us. But all oh, to set our affection there. Oh, you see, now I know the things of this world has to be have to be provided for. We have families, we have children, we have things, we have jobs, and they have to be provided for and they have to be sought. We have to have clothes and food and homes and all that. But that's not our life. That's not where our affections are really at. Any of you fellas just absolutely say, well, I'm not going to go home and I'm just going to stay and give them eight more hours. I love my boss so much and I love this job so much. No. Uh-uh. No, you wouldn't. You start looking at, well, about ten more minutes I'd hit that clock. You know why? That's just a means to an end. Your affections at home with your wife and your kid. And you're doing that. And so you see, beloved, well, all those things, but that's not where our affection's at. And that's the way everything in this world, God gave them as a means to an end. People are absolutely nuts about money and time and all this. And I'll tell you, it's just, it don't amount to anything when it's all said and done if you don't have him. Really, you know, all we got to have, we got to live in this world. But still yet, our affection is set on him and we give him thanks for what we have here. Uh, does that make sense? We don't look, we don't go after them with anxiety. That's the thing that Israel said to God when they was in the wilderness. They said, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? And what are these clothes we got on? When are we going to get a change? And that's what the heathen think. That's what this world said. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the mind. What are we going to eat? What are we going to wear? What are we going to drink? And our Lord said, this is what the heathen's interested in. It's what the Gentiles are after. And we don't go with anxiety after these things. We want to give a good job. We want to give a good account of ourselves as believers. But that's not where our heart's at. That's not where our soul's at. And we don't go with anxiety. That's not our chief end. That's not our chief purpose. We do that, do that to provide for our families and, and to honor God and to be able to come and worship God and support the gospel. And if we don't use it for that, it just ain't, it just don't amount to anything. That's not the chief end or source of our happiness, not our jobs or our, our homes and, and things like that. That'd be a pitiful thing to have your affection on, wouldn't it? Huh? How would you like to have your affection on your house? You drove up one evening and that thing was going up in smoke. Now, that's bad. I'm not trying to make light of it. I mean, I mean, we got to have a nice place to live and all of us got wonderful homes. But boy, if your heart and soul was wrapped up in it and it's all you thought about, what a beautiful home. Next thing you know, you drive up there and smoke going out the chimney. Would you quit living? No, build that back. So you see, we're in Christ. That's where our affection, that house not our chief purpose, that house not our chief joy. Christ is our chief joy. Huh? So he says, set your affection on things above, not on things on this earth. Set your affection on faith. Oh, give me some faith, Lord. I love faith. Give me some of it. Love, set your affection on love. Set your affection on joy. Set your affection on peace. 
Have any of y'all ever read Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress? There's two fellers in there, two young boys. Right at the outset, they, they, you're not very far into the book, and there's two boys. He goes into interpreter's house, Christian does, and when he gets in there, the interpreter shows him, takes him into a room, and here sits a boy over here. And here sits a boy over here in a chair. And one of them over here, they just keep handing things, and he rips it open, takes the paper, and wraps it off of it, he looks at it, plays with it a while, and throws it down. More, more, more. They give him something else, he rips it open, tears it up, and all that, and then he looks at it, plays with it a while, and more, more, more. And he just goes on like that, and the other just sitting over here. He just sitting over here, very quiet, very calm. Christian says to the interpreter, said, what, what does this mean? He said, well, the one is passion. He's like the people of this world. He's like the horse leech who cries, more, more, more. He's passionate. you got to have everything. He wants it down. And then when he gets it, it doesn't ever satisfy him. He always cries more. And that's this world. And they get all they'll ever get in this world. And then there's patience over there. And your patience possesses you, you soul. He's satisfied with what God gives. He'll wait on the Lord and the blessings of the Lord. And that's the way, that's what Paul said. Set your affection on things of God. Not on things on this earth. Passion wants this earth and what's in it. Patience willing to wait for the world to come. Huh? You willing to wait for the world to come? You won't make this in your world. It's a bad place to make your world, ain't it? All right. Down verse 3. I love this verse. <laughs> for your dad. <laughs> You're dead. Well, how'd you die? I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet it's not I that liveth, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, what he says here, as far as this world is concerned, with its likes, with its riches, with its honor, with its temporary glory, with its fame, with its pleasures, with its relationships, you're dead. How many relationships you had over the years that you thought would last and then they didn't last? How many times you had a pocket full of money, something come along, you say, well, I've got a head just a little bit. Bam, a car mess up, a child gets sick or something, it's going just like that. Huh? You, you don't lose your mind, you're dead. You're dead. And people of this world want to impress one another. They want to brag on the things that they're doing. But God's people are dead. They're dead to these things and the pleasures and life. Oh, William Shakespeare said this. He said a lot of good things, but this is maybe the best thing he ever said. He said, life is but a walking shadow full of sound and fury signifying nothing. Signifying nothing. Huh? And I heard a story one time, and I'm sure you've heard it. I'm sure Jack's told it to you, or David, or Jonathan, one of these preachers have told you this. But I, I read this, that this is supposed to be true. And if I understand it right, it was the Apostle John, the beloved Apostle, the one who wrote Revelation, was exiled to Patmos. That a young man came to him, a young preacher, who was upset over some things that had been said about him, some things that were said to him. And he came to the old Apostle. And asked him, you know, said, so-and-so said this about me and done this and said this to me. He said, oh, it hurt me and I'm so offended. And he said, well, said, uh, let's just make up a name. He said, you remember uh, uh, Samuel? Yeah, I remember Samuel. He said, you know, we buried him a year and a half ago. Yeah, I remember. He 
So I'll tell you what you do. He said, do you know where we buried him at? Yeah. He said, well, you go out there where we buried him at. And you go out there and you stand by his grave. And when you stand there at his grave, you tell him every, every good thing that you ever know about him and how much you liked him and enjoyed him. So, oh, that young preacher said, but he, you know, I don't just go do what I said. So we respect him the way we stood there at that grave and he said, Samuel, he said, you was, a, you was such a strong believer. When God tried you, you just kept smiling and, and kept encouraged and, and uh, you was a comfort to God. You was a comfort to me in this. You was a comfort to me in that. And, and I appreciated the faith you had. Oh, your faith was such an example to everybody in the congregation. And, and we just enjoyed you so much. Well, he got through saying that. He went back and he told John. He said, John, I did not your sister. Brother John, did what you said. He said, now go back and tell him everything you dislike about him. What? Go back and tell him everything you dislike about him. So away he went. Stood there at that grave. And he said, John, he said, though you had faith, and though you was really, really could bear a trial so extremely well and so comforting to others, Said, you know you're an awful impatient man. You take, you was impatient with other people. You just, you'd get awful aggravated with other people, and you'd say things to other people that you ought not say. You should have had more charity. You should have had more. You should have been more forbearing. And you wasn't as forgiving as you ought to be. You know that. Said, I heard you talk a time or two, and you held, you kind of held things against people. Said, you know that. So he just went on and on about things like that. And he got back to John, and he scratched his head. What in the world's going on? <laughs> and John said to him, said, said, did you do what I told you? Yeah, I said, I told him all the good about it. Did you tell him all of it? I told him all about it. He said, well, let me tell you, what did he, what did he do about it? What did he say? How did he act? He said, well, he didn't say anything. He didn't act in any way. He was dead. He never heard a word I said. He said, that's the way you're to be in this world. Go and you do something. And that's what the apostles talking about. You're dead. We're dead to the praise and we're dead to the bad. We're dead to the good. We're dead to the not so good. People are going to brag on you one day, they're going to cuss you the next. Huh? People are going to be generous to you one day, the next day they're going to be sustaining you and going to think, how in the world could they go the Lord? That's, that's the way it is. We've got to be dead to these things. You understand what I'm saying? Does that make sense? It makes all sense in the world to me. I hope it makes sense. But we're dead. I'd sure like to be that way. In our real life, that's what he went on to say here, for you're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Uh, see, our real life and our real interest is with Christ in God. Our new life. Our new life. And then he says, your, your life is hid with Christ. And our Lord is hid. He's hid from this world. The world can't see him. They don't know where he's at. They don't know what he's like. God hid him. And God hid all things in him. And I'll tell you what, the only way in the world you can find out where he's at and what he's like for God to reveal you to you where he's at. And then not only is he hid, he's hid from this world, but we're hid with him from this world. When you're out in the world, as folks know you're a believer, when they see you driving your automobile, they say, well, that guy right there really looks like a Christian. That guy right there, I can just tell that he's a believer. I can just tell. No, you know why? Because they don't know him, so they don't know us. 
As he's hid from the world, we're hid with him. The world don't more recognize us as believers unless we tell them. And I know there's a bunch that fix their hair a certain way, wear their clothes a certain way, in order to let folks know that they, they're uh, a religious. But I tell you what's the truth, beloved. We're hid with Christ. That means the secrecy of it. The natural man doesn't understand, doesn't know what we have in Christ, what we are in Christ, and that we're even in Christ. And what's more about it, they don't care. And the second meaning of it is, is that we're hid with him. That means the safety of it. If you're hid someplace and you're hid with him, nobody finds you. <laughs> the law can't get you. Devil can't get you. Huh? Even the preacher can't get you. You're safe. You're safe. And that means we'll never perish. No wonder the old hymn writer said, Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. And then in verse 4, and I'll close with this. And oh, it did something. When Christ, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Huh? When Christ, who is our life, Thank God for the life of Christ, Chris. Thank God for the life of Christ. I lived for years and yet never had a life. Didn't enjoy life. And now I'm 45 years old and I'm as happy as if I had good sense. Life could not be any better, any more enjoyable, any more restful and peaceful and content and more full than it is. And it's all because he's our life. I really, really, I believe that with my very being that he's my life. He's my life. He's your life. And you see, when, he is, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, he's going to come. Yeah. Yeah, he's going to come. He appears when we need him. When we really need him now, he comes, don't he? He comes to our rescue. He comes. But our real glory, he said, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Our real glory is yet to come. It's yet to come. It'll be revealed when he's revealed. When our Lord's revealed in his glory, then it's going to be revealed what glory we have with him and what glory we have in him. And beloved says, Christ is our life. Now the essence, the very essence, the heart and soul of Christianity is not a creed. It's not a system of doctrine. It's not a particular mode of worship, but it's a life. It's a life taken up with a person. That's what creeds. It's a life taken up with a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. We can learn creeds and we can learn doctrines and we can go through our modes of worship and all those things have a place. But I tell you what, Christianity is a life lived in, by, and because of another person, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it, Christ who is our life. Huh? And he's our hope. He's our hope. He's our happiness. And old Jeremiah said it like this. said, the Lord is my portion. You remember the Levites, when they got into the promised land, everybody got a portion of land. They divided it up. Everybody got a lot. But the only tribe who never got any place to live, didn't get any land, 
was the Levites. They were the priesthood. They were the ones the ministers of the tabernacle. We're kings and priests unto God. And you know whose portion the Levites were? They once said, well, my part's over on this side of Jordan. Others said, my part's on this side of Jordan. My part's up on that mountainside. Well, you know who the Levites' portion were? God was their portion. <laughs> so, oh, what a portion we've got. God, what a portion. I've got here. He's my portion. <laughs> oh, bless his glorious name. Huh? And oh, beloved, no, no wonder. No wonder. The scripture said Christ is our life. Oh, what a hope we have in him. What a joy we have in him. What a peace we have in him. And so if you're risen with him, seek those things that are above where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. For you're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear. And he's on his way. He's coming. And he's coming for us, some of us pretty soon. Shall appear. And guess what? We're going to appear with him. When he shows up, we're going to show up with him. When he comes in glory, we're going to come in glory with him. That's a blessed thing, ain't it? Our Father, bless you for allowing us to meet in this service tonight. Thank you for the wonderful privilege of being here with these dear saints again. Thank you for how you've touched and strengthened and restored health to Brother Jack. Thank you for these saints of God, for their commitment, their faithfulness, their love of you, and their love for one another. I bless you for the wonderful privilege it is to know these children of God, to be able to come and worship with them, to call on your name, to sing and pray and find you to be our all in all. Bless those that come, strengthen them and encourage them and help them and continue, Lord, to bless and cause the work here to grow and flourish. Continue for your glory and the good of this people to restore Brother Jack to hell. Bless them, please. Not for their sake, for anyone's sake, but only our Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.